Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Many of us could quote these verses. We've been acquainted with them many times. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans is such a powerful book. And uh, I've actually just these last couple of weeks purposed to do something in my own life. I've decided that it would, God would be pleased for me to take the entirety of 2024 in my personal private study and immerse myself in the book of Romans. And then, if the Lord so wills, that will translate to studying through the book of Romans in 2025. Now, there's a couple of things to take from that. Number one, Romans is worthy of a year-long immersion to preach through it. Number two, I'm telegraphing that I intend to be here in 2025. That may bring you joy. It may bring you, I don't know, but that's my plan. Um, Not that that was ever up in the air. Martin Luther said something of Romans. He said, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. We can never read it or ponder it too much. For the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. There's been a lot of valiant efforts to outline and categorize Romans, and I'll attempt that myself in 2025. For our purposes, I like a simple division that was put forth by a guy named R. Kent Hughes. He said, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 32, is primarily doctrine. And then, verses 33 through 36 of chapter 11 is a wonderful doxology. But then, beginning in the passage we just read to the end of the book, it moves from doctrine to, doctrine to doxology, and now he begins to focus on the Christian's duty. Doctrine always brings us to a duty. See? I've approached this last Sunday morning message of 2023, and There's a word that's been rattling around in my mind and in my heart for actually quite some time. And that word is sacrifice. It started when I was reading devotionally and the writer asked a question that essentially pointed to the level of sacrifice in the life of an average Christian. Posing questions like, how far are we willing to go? How deep is our level of sacrifice for the glory of God? And then I began to ponder, well, what exactly is sacrifice? It's important that we define our terms. How do I know if I'm really doing it at all? 
let alone sacrificing deeply enough. So from then on, I tried to look for instances of sacrifice and information about sacrifice throughout the scriptures. And I began to flesh out working definitions and practical guidance in the matter of my personal level of sacrifice. I ran across a quote by a man named Sam Shoemaker. He was one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said this. He said, to be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. Now, that may not fully take care of what we want to talk about, but I think it's a pretty good start. So often when you hear preaching on sacrifice, be sure that an offering plate is not far away. Now, this is a valid application because God does expect for us to sacrifice financially to his work, no question. But I think it's more than that. We have to ask ourselves, is real Bible sacrifice confined to financial giving, or is it meant to be absolutely pervasive? Is it meant to touch every element of our lives? Is this topic of sacrifice too expansive for one message? Should it be a series? Is there time in 2024 to travel through all the biblical examples of sacrifice and to correlate the information therein? Then God directed me to this familiar passage. 59 words. Some of you will count that. 59 words that we have before us. And in it, we have everything that we need to know regarding this matter. Because here, Paul gives us in a wonderfully concise biblical package the doctrine of sacrifice. The doctrine of sacrifice. So, Father, would you help me as I preach this, as I teach this, Lord, may I do so in the way that most pleases you. Would you uh, move me out of the way and have your way and use your Holy Spirit to apply your word to our hearts in an unusual way. God, just do something amazing in our midst, we pray. And we'll give you all the glory for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen and amen. The doctrine of sacrifice. Now, these fellows will know exactly who I'm talking about. I try to alliterate my messages. This one is not a very good effort. I went to Pensacola Christian College. And when I was there, I was enrolled in the Jim Shetler School of Alliteration. And uh, so they, they all, that was all for them. You don't need to worry about that. That was all for them. I would let him down on this one. But I try. I try to do it. I try to do it here, but this is not to his level. First thing we need to understand about sacrifice is this. Sacrifice is a characteristic of and not a condition for salvation. Now, why is that important? Because look at what Paul says. I beseech you, therefore, what? Brethren. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to brethren. Who are brethren? He's not speaking of Jewish brethren. That's not the intended audience here. He's speaking of Christian brethren. He's talking about believers. And it's important that we make note of that because if you're here today and you're not part of the family of God, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no amount of sacrifice that you can perform to get you into heaven. 
You cannot curry favor with God. You cannot win him over. You cannot do enough. But I see it all the time. I see people that are members of, of, of people that would claim Christianity, but really they're just cults. And I mean, they sacrifice and they sacrifice and they give up two years of their life here and they go all over the country there and they do everything they can to sacrifice thinking that that earns them some kind of favor with God. I'm here to tell you, friend, if you're lost, no amount of sacrifice will get you to heaven. It is a characteristic of salvation, but it is not a condition for salvation. I didn't say sacrifice wasn't involved in your salvation. It just wasn't yours. I'm not saved because of my sacrifice. I'm saved because of his sacrifice. I'm saved because Jesus Christ saw my sorry no good self that I was just steeped in sin unqualified to go to heaven unqualified to be with my holy God and Jesus took my sin and your sin upon himself and went to that cross not owing our sin debt went to that cross and died in our place he sacrificed himself that we might not have to understand that friend Understand that. If you're here today and you're not saved, your greatest need is not to sacrifice anything. Your greatest need is the grace that Jesus provides through his sacrifice. But then once you are saved, you can begin to ponder that sacrifice, the encouraged of all of God's children. That's the first thing we need to understand. Number two, sacrifice is a choice. It's a choice. He says, I beseech you, I beg with you, I plead with you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Beseech means to beg, to present, harkens back to the offerings of sacrifices in the Old Testament. Now, there is an implied command here. It is imperative. It is God's expectation. But we understand that even when God presents an expectation, he still leaves us with a choice. You remember, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's a command, clearly. But does everyone repent? No. God leaves us with a choice. Now, are there consequences when we fail to sacrifice as God has commanded? Yes, there are. But it remains our choice. Real sacrifice is not compelled. It's freely offered. Let's say that one of your parents comes to me and says, I'll just tell you, I sure have sacrificed for my kids. Really? In what way? Well, I mean, I've provided them with food and clothing and a house. Beloved, that's not sacrifice. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. When, when my wife and I got married and purposed to have children, we assumed that responsibility. Now, we get into things that are not compelled. I am not compelled to pay for my kids to go to college. But we intend to, to some degree. I'm not saying they won't work while they're there. I think that's good for them. 
But we intend to. Why? Because we love them and we want them to have that opportunity. Now, not every kid's meant to go to college. It may prove ours aren't. I don't know. We'll see. But there are people that put their kids in Christian schools. They sacrifice. They're not compelled to put them here or another good Christian school. But, but they, they, they do it because they love them. If you're forced to do something, it's not a sacrifice. It's just where you are. God's not going to force anybody to do anything because then it stops being a sacrifice, right? Well, I, I've done everything for my kid. I put clothes on their back. Well, you should. By the way, sacrifice can be mis, misguided as well. If you're missing all kind of time with your kid that you might work two shifts or two jobs so they can have the latest gadget, you might want to rethink that. Not all sacrifices are equal. It's a choice. And right now, all of us that are saved, we are faced with the choice. I am either going to give of myself sacrificially for my Lord or I'm not. If we were to skip ahead to the so what, that's the so what. How much of me does he have? Because sacrifice is a choice. If you're waiting for some trance to overtake you and make sacrifice more palatable, you're never going to give God anything. You've got to choose to do it. You see, sacrifice is a characteristic. Sacrifice is a choice. You know what else? If you really look at it, sacrifice is common sense. What do I mean by that? I mean it's reasonable. It's appropriate. Look at what he says. I beseech you, what? Therefore. What do we do when we see a therefore? We look back to get some context, don't we, Michelle? Yes. One of our upper tier Bible students over there. I beseech you, therefore, notice another phrase here, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. Nothing here is anything beyond the reasonable. Notice it says, therefore. In light of what? In light of the gospel. In light of everything Paul's talked about so far in the book of Romans, in light of God's redemptive work to save us, therefore, what I'm telling you is logical. It makes sense. It's common sense. If God has done all of this for us, therefore, the least we can do is give ourselves to him. Hmm? But then it says, by the mercies of God. How many of us could take time this morning and give testimony to the mercies of God in our lives? Can I give you the ones that, just a few of the ones that Paul gave? We're talking about the mercies of God that merit our sacrifice. How about this? For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. How about, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
How about moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. How about for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How about there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How about for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. How about this? How about likewise? The Spirit also itself helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us which groanings which cannot be uttered that he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God and we know that all things all things all things work together for good to them that are called to them, for them that love God them who are the called according to his purpose for whom he did foreknow them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified what shall we say then to these things these mercies of God if God be for us who can be against us he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect it is God that justifieth who is he that condemneth it is Christ that died Yea, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are all killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are just a small snippet of the mercies of God that Paul talked about. So it's no wonder he said this is our reasonable service. It is perfectly reasonable and an act of worship to give ourselves to our more than deserving God. It's common sense. Sacrifice is a characteristic, not a condition. It's a choice. It's common sense. Now, beloved, sacrifice is meant to be complete. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Your bodies. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This word bodies doesn't just mean our physical selves. It means our emotions, our mind, and our will in addition to our physical selves. Yes, you belong to the Lord. 
It's my body. I have a right to do it. No, you don't. It belongs to him. And we have a responsibility to present it to him on a daily basis as a living sacrifice. It harkens back to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Harkening back to Deuteronomy 6. It's meant to be complete. A living sacrifice. A sacrifice that is fully consumed but does not die, but rather lives for the glory of of God. Sometimes we entertain thoughts of will we ever be called upon to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd rather occupy my mind with whether or not I'm living for him. Because if I'm living for him, the dying for him will be no problem. He says holy, acceptable, that means set apart and suitable for the task that is ahead of it. Now let's ask ourselves this question. How much have we sacrificed? Because if we're honest, the average Christian tends to give God portions, but not all. If you tithe, thank the Lord for that. I don't spend a lot of time arguing tithing versus grace giving. I'm a tither. I I, I believe the tithe predated the law and it's still in in, in effect. And I believe it pleases God to set aside 10% of my income to him. You may take the position of of a, you know, grace giving or something like that. That, That's fine as long as we all understand that where a man's treasure is, there is his heart also. And if you want to be serious about giving your heart to Christ, that involves your treasure too. You know? But the idea that if I give God 10%, the rest of it's mine, that's not biblical. It's all his. He lets me keep 90% of it. Or however much is left after we've given to different projects or whatever. It's all his. What do you have in your life that you've not given to him? Because by definition, anything that you've kept for yourself to the exclusion of God's command becomes an idol. Have you given him your body? How do you know? Is your body used to glorify him and to serve him, or does it serve your own purposes and desires? Have you given him your desires? That may involve your vocation. That may involve your your pastimes. That may involve your recreation. That may involve your goals, your dreams, your desires, your aspirations. Have you given him your vocation? Have you given him your thinking? Here's one. Have you given him your views? It amazes me how many people have political views that sometimes intersect with the Bible, but if it comes down between the Bible and my political party or my political persuasion, I go with that. Can I give an example? I'm about to hurt somebody's feelings here. I'm going to confess something to you. I have libertarian leanings. I think the founders had an idea that the less government, the better. It's just me. But some of my friends who are libertarians, who are Christians, 
say that we shouldn't legislate anything about abortion because that infringes on liberty. No, my Bible teaches me that it's wrong to kill a baby. So if I have to choose between my libertarianism and my Christianity and what the Bible teaches, I choose the Bible. The Constitution, as wonderful as it is, does not rise at or above the level of Holy Scripture. See? Our views ought to match up with God. Here's one. Have you sacrificed your preferences to God? Hmm? I like that church, but I don't particularly like all the trees they have everywhere at Christmas time. Okay, that's fine. I like trees. I like a lot of trees. If I have my way, we'll have more next year. I might preach from a tree. (laughs) Do other things from trees, why not? If we were to get upset over that, that'd be a preference, wouldn't it? Maybe it's time we give our preferences to God, too. I don't like the music. Okay. Usually that's a preference thing. Because we work very hard to have music that's God honoring and lifts up Christ here. So you didn't like a song. Okay. That's a preference. Okay. If I've sacrificed that to God, it shouldn't matter, should it? Hmm? How about this? Have we sacrificed our comforts? Have we sacrificed our relationships? Beloved, if you've got people in your life that draw you away from God, that's a sacrifice that needs to be made. Oh, here's one. Have you given him your kids? Because there's a whole lot of parents out there that have made bad decisions or allowed their families to trend in the wrong direction because they let their kids drive the bus. My point is this, when we say that we have sacrificed ourselves, what God expects is everything. Sacrifices, as far as God's concerned, they're they're a characteristic, not a condition. They're a choice, they're common sense, they're to be complete. Here's the last one. They're conducive. Now, what does that mean? That means they're productive. It means they lead to productivity. And when you really sacrifice yourself to God, the way Romans 12 calls for you to do so, it produces some things. You know what it does first? First of all, it'll produce the right attitude. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now watch this. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a change in attitude. I grew up under a pastor that said attitude is everything. And it is. Attitudes can make or break your walk through life. It really can. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control my response and my, my attitude about it. 
It says, be, conformed, be not conformed to this world. That means pressed into the mold of godless philosophy that is prevalent in this age. Can I tell you something, friend? One of the easiest ways for that to happen is social media influence. You better be careful. Television. It used to be you had to be careful about what your kids watched on television. Now you've got to be careful about what they're carrying in their pocket. And you know why you should be careful about what your kids are carrying in pocket? Because you should be careful about what you're carrying in your pocket. This isn't just a kid thing. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That renewing means the renovation for the better. God wants to renovate your mind. That involves tearing some old stuff out and putting up some new stuff. At some point, we need to renovate this auditorium. God will show us when the time is right. This carpet is about done. And as God provides, we need to do something about the flooring. I'm happy to report to you that the choir loft's almost too small now. What do we need to do? Well, we got all kinds of room here. I don't need all this room. So we bring the choir loft up. And we rebuild the risers. And we put good, comfortable, squishy chairs back there. And y'all going to like them so much up there that you're going to want them down here. And if we're going to change the carpet anyway... That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> All right. At some point, we need to renovate. But if we renovate, it's not going to look exactly the same, is it? We're going to bring in some new stuff. New carpet. A new setup up here. That's what God wants to do with your minds. He wants to bust out the stuff that shouldn't be there and bring in the new stuff that he has for us. That's the renewing of your mind. But what's really interesting to me is it says, be transformed. The word transform, you've heard this before, comes from the Greek word from which we get our our word metamorphosis. It's something that happens on the inside. And when he says to be transformed, what he's saying is what's on the inside needs to be seen on the outside. We had about 487 caterpillars this spring that we put in a little basket and watched them turn into butterflies. You know what I learned? Everything that's in that caterpillar is there already to become a butterfly. They don't have to go to Walmart and buy wings. Everything is inside that caterpillar that it needs. Can I tell you something? If you're saved today, you're indwelt by the Holy Ghost of God, and everything that you need to be a godly, victorious Christian is already in you. It's just got to get out. Now, here's the neatest thing about this. The word transformed. How many of you know that verbs are either active or passive? Active means you are actively doing the verb's action. Passive means it is happening to you. Which do you think it is, active or passive? It's passive. What does that tell me? You don't have the power to make yourself one bit better. Somebody has to work on you. So what's he saying? Let the quickened spirit that's inside come out. By allowing God to do in you the work that he wants to do. So it changes our attitude. But you know what else it produces? It produces the right latitude. If you want to find somewhere, you got a longitude and a latitude. 
And that's how you pinpoint where something is. It's how you get directions. It's how your GPSs work. Satellites work off of latitude and longitude. It gives you the right latitude and longitude for that matter. Because he says this. He says, be not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. There's a proving there, a test or a discernment. What is that? And then we talk about a process. That good, that which is beneficial and useful, that's where we start. Acceptable, that which is not only good, but it's pleasing. We're enjoying it. And then perfect, that which is complete and mature in God's thinking. Will of God. That's what sacrifice produces. And if you don't have that kind of direction in your life, I can almost guarantee you it's because there's something in your life you haven't sacrificed. Because you don't get that kind of direction. You don't get the right attitude and the right latitude without sacrifice. To our guests, these are, my, these are our church's favorite two words. So what? Because it means I'm about done. Maybe. Here's the so what. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, no amount of sacrifice can save you. And frankly, to attempt to do it that way is an insult to God. For God to send his son to die for you and to suffer like he did and you think you can do it yourself, shame on you. Brother Earl, here's here's how I'm going to heaven. I'm not good enough. None of us are. I stand before God, not because of any sacrifice I've made, but because his son made all the sacrifice for me. November 29, 1979, I appropriated that sacrifice to my own life. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, Jesus sacrificed himself. He died in your place. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again that you might be saved. It's time to let him be what he desires to be, and that's your Savior. It's time. If you're saved, thank God. But it is completely reasonable for God to then expect of us that we sacrifice ourselves for his glory, for his use. When we get to heaven, we'll get to meet a lot of people. The Bible says we'll know even as we are known. I'll know Mary. She'll know me. I'll know Isaiah. He'll know me. I'll know Paul. He'll know me. You find any of them that sacrificed themselves for the Lord and ask any of them, was it worth it? And every one of them will tell you the same thing. Not only was it worth it, I wish I'd have done it sooner and deeper. It's worth it. So as we head out of 2023 and head into 2024, I'm not going to ask you how much you've given him. I'm going to ask you probably the easier calculation. How much have you kept? Because God tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It all begins and ends for the Christian with the doctrine of sacrifice.
Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.